Welcome to the Hopeless Wonder Podcast Extra, Episode 9, with me, Adam Gipke, and my co-hosts, Craig Rogers and Andy McBride. And today we're also joined by George Harris from the Chelsea podcast, Blues Brothers, who will no doubt fill us in on all things Chelsea-related. So welcome to the show, George. Uh, bar that result on Saturday and even this evening, how was your Christmas? Well, yeah, first of all, thank you for, for having me on. It's a pleasure to be talking with you all. Um, yeah, Christmas was, oh, like many people, unusual um, for this year. And let's just hope that we can... Yeah kind of draw a line under 2020 I think and, and move forward but yeah it was very good how about how about yourself yeah pretty boring I'd have to say um but yeah, yeah. I suppose we coped somehow um but yeah I mean it was amazing to see my little boy kind of open up his presence so um yeah from that point of view it was oh, not too bad I can't can't moan too much um and just to my co-host so Andy how was your Christmas any interesting presents from your end uh yeah, got some like beard stuff, a uh, fit like a Fitbit equivalent for my phone. Oh yeah. Um. So yeah, the only annoying thing about it, it keeps flashing up green, telling me to exercise when I'm in the middle <laughs> of drinking gin. But no, so uh, Christmas was alright. It was a bit weird. I didn't expect um the first time my girlfriend met my family to be on Zoom, but here we are. It's 2020. So <laughs> um, other than that, a normal Christmas to be honest. Love that, love that. And Craig, good result for you guys on Saturday. Um, but generally, how was your Christmas otherwise? Yeah, it was good, mate. Like yourself, was very, very quiet. Um, ate too much, drank too much. So, yeah, starting next weekend, I'll need to, I need to kind of cut back and get get some sort of normality in my diet. But other than that, mate, all good. Oh, great to hear, great to hear. Right then, guys, so let's start off with what happened over the weekend. Um, some really interesting results, um, but let's start off with the Sam Allardyce horn that was played last week. So Big Sam continued his unbeaten run at Anfield with his typical 6-4 formation and earning a really deserved point. So um, did any of you happen to watch this game? I caught the highlights. I didn't watch the game live. Um, Don't blame me. No, well, to be honest, I thought it'd be you know a bit of a bloodbath. I was I was predicting five or six, um, and in all honesty, it potentially could have been in the first half. I thought Liverpool squandered quite a few chances, um, and then as the game ticked over to half time and into sixty minutes, seventy minutes, the sort of the script was already written for West Brom to pull one back, and you know well deserved points. Much much better teams mm. than West Brom will go to Anfield this season and get a doing. So, not credit to them. Good first point. Um, by West Brom. I mean, for the benefit of everyone, I felt um, Big Sam almost adopted what Mourinho did with Spurs the previous week. Um, very much about counter-attacking, but getting lots of men behind the ball. Um, to one point, you had almost eight people behind stacking line, and um, Liverpool really struggled to break them down, um, which was interesting given that seems to be a common tactic that now a lot of teams are adopting. Um, more concerns for Liverpool with Matip going off injured. Um, they replaced him with Reese Williams, who's only been on loan last season at Kidderminster Harriers, sorry, and struggled for the pace. Uh, in particular, Carlin Grant and uh, Matty Phillips really caused him a lot of trouble, and that bit led to the goal itself because it was actually pressure against him that made that goal happen. Um, does anyone else get that feeling that Liverpool are there, or, you know, to be got at right now? I mean, I don't know about you, George, but certainly um, it seems like Liverpool are on the cusp of maybe, you know, giving us something to make this season even more spicier. 
Yeah, I think, you know, this, you know, how Liverpool, that, that game in itself really just kind of underpinned what this whole season's been really in terms of just weird results and unpredictability. I mean, um, I listened actually to an interview that Klopp gave um, a few days before the game saying that he was finding, he was fine, which was quite interesting actually. He said he was finding it quite difficult to tactically approach the game because he wasn't, you know, he had an idea mm. of how West Brom would play. And then obviously Big Sam's come in and, you know, he's been had a full, his first full week with the players. So, and I think they got caught out a bit. You know, there's no doubt that they, they've had a, a freak season in terms of injuries, but I think it was always going to be difficult for them to reach the bar that they set last season, regardless. I think, you know, history repeats itself time and time again in the Premier League of trying to defend a title is, is somewhat harder than winning your first one in a while. Mm. So that that whole, you know, the points total this season is going to be dramatically lower. So I think I think hope is the word for all clubs. I mean, you'd even say... You know, you'd even say that a lot of the teams, you know, like Everton and, and you know, they were sitting yeah. second at one point and they, you know, you could still say that they, they're dark horses. You know, you've got Spurs in the mix, you've got a lot of teams that could pull. It almost seems like a bit of a championship season in the case <laughs> yeah. of, you know, you could, you could string five or six results together and go from almost bottom half of the table up into, you know, the top six. Yeah, definitely. And Andy, you must be quite frustrated given that Man United's almost, you know, got a result against Leicester. So given that, you know, Liverpool had kind of flunked that game, really, I suppose, towards the end of it. Do you feel a bit frustrated that you're now at a position where you can kind of yeah. play more challenging now? Yeah, it's a bit of a double-edged thing. I think with the chances that United had, we, sh- we should have won the game. Like, by we should have scored a good three or four goals. I mean, that miss from Rashford in the first half was absolutely horrendous. Um, you know, a League One strike could be embarrassed if you missed that. Um <laughs> But, you know, Rashford does have that in him, though. Is, you know, he kind of mixes the spectacular um, with a not-so-spectacular, as in this case, a bit like Martial as well. Yeah, like I said, I think, you know, again, on that one-on-one with um, Schmeichel, it's, uh, you could argue, you should have really scored from there. So, yeah, I think it was, um, it was an intriguing game. I mean, both teams were in decent form at the moment. Um, you know, both teams strength is within counter-attacking um, and they are both a little bit vulnerable defensively so it's an intriguing game to watch um, you know I think the Harvey Barnes one came from Bruno Fernandes losing the ball which he sometimes does but you accept it uh, with a brilliant goal um, I think the second goal that Leicester scored was avoidable mm. um, by you know, failing to stop the cross three defenders in, in the box just basically ball watching. I mean, granted, Jamie Vardy's movement is excellent, yeah. always has been, uh, but I felt, you know, maybe one of them could have stepped up and made it a bit more difficult. Uh, but, you know, the goals that United scored were still good. I mean, it's not really a shocker to see Fernandez at the heart of it. Um, I mean, it's just by sticking his boot out, it seems to be a perfect through ball. He's fallen over. <laughs> Um, and you know Cavani coming on I think he came on probably a bit later than he should have done really I'd put him on at half time to be honest Um, I think now I think there needs to be an argument to put um, Cavani into more games because he's having an impact off the bench quite frequently in the league Mm. Um, so yeah but as it happens you know Liverpool drop points Chelsea drop points um, you know pretty much all the teams around us apart from Everton drop points so we've not really lost anything no. either. Um, so it's not, you know, a huge 
uh, disappointment really. In fact, if you look at the, you know, as of this evening, Chelsea are drawing Villa. Yeah. So it is probably not a result they they would either imagine they'd expect to win those kind of games at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it does feel like um, it a championship season. Uh, really, it's um, you know, if you'd like it to win their game tomorrow, um, you know, if they're on like thirty points and a couple of points behind Liverpool, so it'll be interesting. Just referring to that second goal that Leicester scored, I mean, do you blame that on sort of the fitness levels right now, the fatigue, or was that a concentration, or is it a combination of both? Because it seems to be a kind of first bit was Luke Shaw potentially, second bit might have been Maguire playing him on, and then you had Eric Barley who kind of was ball watching towards it. So I don't know what, what I put it on to in one respect, but it seems to be a combination of all three, really. The problem is, is that, you know, as much as it'd be quite easy to blame yeah. it on the fixture congestion, I think I've seen, you know, I've seen it far too often from United's defence, whether it's the first minute, 45th minute or the 90th minute, they do have a habit of switching off. Um, and unfortunately, with the likes of Baye and Shaw and, and even Maguire, they are prone to having those kind of dozy moments. Um, and that really is a one area of re- real weakness at the moment. I think if United had a board of a bit of ambition, they would go out and buy a centre-back mm. um, in the January transfer window because I genuinely think you know a top-class defensive midfielder and a, decent, and a top-class centre-back, we'd be challenging for the title. But um, in realism, that won't happen. I mean, we'll cover it later on the show, but it certainly seems there is signs or appetite to sign a centre-back, but it seems to be a certain criteria that has to be met. So, um, But yeah, sticking to this weekend's goal, uh, game, should I say, and George, we brought you in for a particular reason, which is to talk about Chelsea. Um, how did you feel Saturday's result went? Because I know we spoke prior to the match, but even after the match, and... Um, yeah, I don't know. Is it typical same old Chelsea, or is there something more underlying going on at Chelsea right now? I mean, quite honestly, I could be here all night talking about um, the positives and negatives regarding Chelsea's current um, situation. I mean that that game against Arsenal is is it's, it's certainly the worst performance under Frank Lampard. I think that's that's fair to say, mm. um, and and he knows that, and he's he you know if you, if you were watching it and you listened to yeah. the post-press conference I mean he made it very clear that that was not acceptable from any level and I think if we played against that against that against anyone I think we would have lost um so I, I don't know what it was to be honest with you I was talking to friends and whether we didn't take the game seriously or maybe they enjoyed themselves too much and that that day off at Christmas or whether it, I, don't, I really don't know because looking at the lineup um again it was probably in terms of Arsenal's quality in recent years I mean that is probably one of the worst lineups man for man I've ever seen in terms of quality and you thought mm. going into that match that they were there for the taking and particularly with the form that they're and the pressure that Arteta's under at the moment but um it just from from the first minute to the last minute it was just there was just nothing no energy um no ideas no creativity and we, we fully deserve to lose that game I mean I can't you know, I could go into it more, but I can't express mm. any more. Just, just disappointment, really, from from the. I think the players let Frank down a bit. Um, whether I think Frank has to take some responsibility in the yeah. sense that maybe you know tactically did he change it when he saw it? I think 
again, I think if it was, you know, an old manager in charge who had a more experience would have seen that first 15, 20 minutes and thought, right, this isn't right. I need to change it, whether it was a formational change or, or a personnel change. And he didn't. So, and then, you know, when we went, you know, three nil down, it's this game over. But yeah, it's unusual times at Chelsea because it's very hit and miss. We, we're used to probably being at the top end of the table and being quite consistent. But the last couple of seasons, for sure, have been a bit of a transition, to say the least. Mm. And one of the things that I think I picked up from his interview in particular, Lampard alluded to a lack of passion and intensity by the players. Um, I felt that intensity has been lacking in the previous matches, so the likes of Everton and in particular Wolves. Um, and it's not particularly like previous sort of times you kind of say, oh, the defence wasn't there. But actually, it's the top end of the pitch where they seem to be struggling with that intensity or just the pressure in terms of, you know, attacking that defence. Um, players like Kante, for example, I don't know what you feel about him, but it almost feels like either his confidence isn't there or he's just not the same player. I don't know if there's an injury that's playing into it a bit as well. I mean, what, where do you think... Lampard needs to kind of change it up a bit because like we're saying right now it ended up with a one-all draw with Aston Villa which on the piece of paper doesn't look great but you know we know how Villa have been playing recently and something we've alluded to on this podcast in particular is um, the lack of plan B or you know a challenge in terms of an assistant that might be able to get more ideas into his head so we kind of challenge whether Jody Morris is that right person um where, where do you think that intensity needs to come from? Is it from Lampard, his backroom staff, or does it just need a complete shake-up altogether? I wouldn't, I wouldn't push the button and say it needs, it needs a complete shake-up because I think it's a bit of a, it, I think in football in particular, it's, it's very much quick to push the panic button when things are going mm. wrong. Granted, we, we spent a lot of money in the market, um, and I think Frank probably gets a bit more um, time and less stick than other managers potentially because of what he's done for the club previously. Um, you know, the job kind of fell into his lap and, you know, let's not forget he only, he's only got, he only had that year experience at Derby County before taking on a job like Chelsea. So he definitely lacks experience. And I, I agree um, with you um, and the podcast views about Jody Morris. I think, you know, I don't doubt his, you know, his knowledge, his footballing knowledge, but I think sometimes you need someone over your shoulder that's got a bit more experience when things are going wrong like this. I mean, it's easy when things are going right, um, but at the moment, I think Frank's kind of looking over to his left and right shoulder and thinking, I, I don't, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what my best team is. And I mean, we've got, again, on paper, I know that's kind of a false. It's a false thing to look at sometimes, but on paper, we've probably got one of the strongest squads in the Premier League mm-hmm. in terms of strength and depth in areas. Um, but I mean, tonight again, it's just you know we changed six six um, players in the lineup, and I didn't really see much improvement in terms of the intensity and going through the motions in in the game. And so I don't know. I mean, where are the where are the goals coming from? I mean, Mason Mount doesn't seem to score many goals. Pulisic is in and out. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm scratching my head to be honest with you, but I'm, I'm definitely a supporter of giving managers time. Um, and Chelsea definitely need to, you know, think about their structure going forward because we've been a we've been a revolving door in the last decade or so with managers, and for you know for some reason it's worked in terms of collecting trophies. But eventually, that longevity needs to be there, and I think we need to give him time to at least give him the opportunity to resolve the issues there, whether that's you know, again, maybe getting some rid of some players in January or in the summer. Um, who knows? But 
yeah, I'm scratching my head, to be honest with you. Craig, uh, we've spoken about Werner as well, in particular, around how he's being played at the moment at Chelsea. Um, certainly, again, doesn't seem to be played in the middle. Um, is that kind of maybe a first step that maybe Lampard should try and change and shake up, potentially? For me, Adam, personally, I think he should be playing through the middle. Um, I watched quite a lot of Bundesliga football, as you know, yeah. and was a huge fan of Timo Werner when he was at Leipzig. Um, Pacey forward, um, lots of strengths, and I believe that he should be better off playing down the middle. I think he's a far better option, albeit a slightly different one to Tammy Abraham or Giroud. Um, but I think Timo Werner, definitely, it wouldn't be a bad start for Frank Lampard to play him down the middle now. He is out of form, and I think you know, George is right that Frank Lampard will be given time. I didn't watch I didn't watch the game today, but I watched the game on Saturday and it just felt like they didn't take the game seriously. It felt as though and I've seen it with Rangers before where they turn up somewhere, the team that they're playing are bang out of form, not playing well, and they expect just to steamroll them. Uh, and I felt that from the first minute I watched that game it just felt like Chelsea really weren't up for it and didn't lack just didn't lack, have any intensity at all. Um, mm. I'd be interested to have your thoughts, George. A few weeks ago in the podcast, I predicted that Frank Lampard would get till the end of this season, uh, providing he finishes top four. But if he doesn't start next season on fire and he look like a serious contender, he would probably get sacked at the beginning of next season. What is that something that you would agree with, or do you think you'll get more time than that? Um, whether I I don't agree with it if they did it, but I yeah I can agree with you in the sense that I can definitely see that happening just because of Chelsea's history with managers. I think I think Frank will know better than anyone that uh, with the amount of managers that he played under that yeah. if it doesn't go well a, a club especially where he spent that amount of money and we demand a certain level then you're unfortunately you're going to be given the axe and it's just how the nature of the job is and um, particularly that top end where there's very little margin for error really um obviously like i alluded to i just hope he gets um he gets more time i mean i completely agree with your comments about timo werner again i'm quite a big fan of the bundesliga um i mean he's i think he's been on record himself saying he's struggling with the, the physical aspect of the premier league didn't realize it was going to be as hard as this um and that's something that's well it's not going to go away so he's got to sharpen up and i think he i think he is struggling He's definitely not getting the service, and I think a lot of teams were playing. He'd get a lot of space in behind. It was. He reminds me similar to when Torres joined us in the sense that he, you know, when he had Gerrard and stuff, and he, you know, a lot of teams would come out and play against Liverpool, and he'd get that space in behind. I think a lot of teams come to Chelsea and, and kind of almost part the bus, if you like. And I think he really struggles when he, he's not on the on the move and making those angled runs, which I saw a lot in Germany last season. I don't know. I don't know if that's something that he's personally struggling with. But I completely agree with your comments about Werner playing down the middle. But yeah, back yeah, back to Frank, I just yeah, I think I would I wouldn't be surprised at all. I'm not surprised by anything as a Chelsea fan really. So <laughs> Do you think he knows his best eleven? Because from a outside perspective, you know, Chelsea have got an incredible amount of depth, especially up front, you know, to have like different options of Zayek and um you know, you've got Giroud still playing well. You've got Pulisic. He seems to be chopping and changing that front line quite frequently. Like he hasn't, he doesn't appear to have settled uh, quite well. I mean, maybe that's partly due to Kai Havertz probably not having similar issues maybe to Werner of not settling in quite as quickly as anticipated. Uh, do you think it's a case of that, you know, 
perhaps he doesn't quite know how his best lineup. And I think going back to the Kante discussion we were having beforehand, I've always had the impression that Lampard struggles to get the most out of him or utilise his strengths. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I think it's funny how you see different players perform different under s- certain managers. It's strange because Kante is, is without doubt one of the best at what he does when he's on fire. But for whatever reason, I think he's been quite poor for Chelsea for some time now. Um, whether, I mean, they were trying to tinker, weren't they, with playing him in a kind of cent- more central role where he had licence to go forward and then, you know, everyone was kicking off and they wanted to revert back to him in a holding role. And it's similar to Havertz. I think they had the idea that he was going to come in and be this this number 10 and this creative spark that was going to link up with Werner perfectly running down the middle and we were going to, you know, they were going to be in double digits, both of them already, and it was going to be all guns blazing. But I think, again, Havertz is probably struggling with the similar, probably from what I see, he's struggling with the pace and the physicality of the Premier League from what it looks like. Yes, he was definitely hit with, with COVID and that's, that's um, you know, been unfortunate for probably from a health perspective of him getting back to full fitness at an elite elite level. But I don't think he does know what his best team and his best formation is. And I think that shows by him just chopping and changing um, personnel so drastically from game to game. Again, whether that's what we discussed earlier about the fixture congestion or there's a greater issue. But I, I, I couldn't tell you my best team. And even if I, I could, I don't necessarily think some of those players are good enough going forward. I mean, players, I don't know, players, for example, I don't... Even Mendy, sometimes I look at and I think, is he is he the answer going forward? I know we had to address that issue with Kepa um, playing quite poorly on a consistent basis, but uh, I, just, I don't know. Is I he... mean, I think a Christmas tree would have been better than Kepa, to be <laughs> honest. So yeah, yeah, it's still an upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they're just some of those players that, you know, I know he likes Mason Mount a lot, for example, and I can't argue with Mason Mount's, you know, effort on the pitch. But does he score enough goals in in midfield? Do we get enough goals in general in midfield compared to other teams? Ugh, I, I don't think so. Um, Pulisic again, someone who's got plenty of bags of potential, but just doesn't seem to get the goals. And then he tinkers with, you know, players like Tammy, who I think, in my personal opinion, plays quite poorly in games, but gets goals for some some reason. Mm-hmm. He's on the end of things, and and he leaves Giroud out when he's he's scoring goals week in week out so it makes it makes me question whether he knows how to approach games sometimes so yeah just out of interest George what do you make of the defensive line because I felt ever since they kind of David Luiz got moved on um there didn't seem to be a kind of I don't know the right kind of centre-back pairing going on at Chelsea um, they played Aspicoletta for example in the back line in the centre back position and he's going to give his 100% all uh, granted but this season obviously he's been used sparingly um, I'm not convinced by Zuma if I'd be brutally honest I think he's a calamity he's, it reminds me of Titus Bramall type player where he has these moments granted this season he seems to be a lot stronger and it helps having someone like Thiago Silva but Thiago Silva clearly won't have the legs to last, say, three years. So do you think that's somewhere Chelsea should aspire to maybe bring someone in? Or do you think it's actually further up the field that potentially they need to kind of, you know, bring someone different to the play? Because certainly, you know, Zayic was playing really well for Chelsea since they've lost him. They've lacked that spark. Um, Whether Havertz is that player, Pulisic, you know, for example, only just came back into the fold. Um, But I don't know. For me, it just feels like this combination of formation, but also at the back, I'm not convinced by Zuma personally. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's the next area of, of concern for me. I think we've got, even if it's not clicking at the moment, I think um, in terms of the personnel at the top end of the pitch, I'm not too concerned. I think we've got plenty of options there and eventually... Hopefully they'll come. They'll come good. I think you know we've we've invested a lot of money into those players, and you know we have to give them time to to settle in um, and find the right um, formation to make it tick. But certainly at the back, I mean tonight when Christiansen went down and I saw the replay, I thought I was just screaming at the telly. I mean, someone like John Terry would never have would have done that. You know, come out of a challenge like that and just been sitting around on the floor. I mean, didn't it looked very minimal contact, and it just. I agree. I think Zuma is completely suspect to errors, and I think he actually gets—he actually looks better than what he even is now, just because Thiago was that good uh, at what he does. Is you know his positional sense is, is first class, and I think if Zuma was playing on his own or with Rudiger, for example, or something like that, I think it would just be—it would be a cricket score in some matches. So. Um, yeah, I think we have, we've addressed a few areas. I mean, um, Reese James looks like he's really come on, but I mean, even you know the Arsenal game, he wasn't the only one, but I think he sh- he showed sometimes a bit of inexperience at times and needs time to learn. Chilwell was a really good signing, but again, he's not he's not hit the ground running as such. He's looked like he's been here for a while, to be fair, but I still think he he's lacking kind of that defensive um, qualities, but. But then I think if we're trying to address it, what really what top quality central defenders are available at the moment for a club like Chelsea? Um, there's been talks of maybe Skriniar from Inter Milan, perhaps. But mm. it is a concern for me because I think Thiago Silva's our best defender, and yet he's you know he's in his late thirties, so that's not really a sustainable choice for us going forward. And I mean, I only wish we had someone like a, a Virgil Van Dijk or someone at our club, but. Um, yeah, I think there are greater issues there that need to be addressed for sure. Just for the benefit of George, Andy and Craig, what did we make of like Arsenal's performance? I mean, was it just by chance or was it the fact that Arteta was forced into certain changes that meant the likes of Martinelli, for example, played and um, even Emil Smith-Rowe, I think it was, who actually played really well for that game, Um but, you know, Arsenal have been on this downward trend going into that match. I don't think Arteta would have picked those players had he not been forced into it. Um, do we feel this is like the turning for Arteta? Or do you think, you know, do we feel they're just going to flunk another match because they've had a good result so far? I think he's made, he's had to make some tough decisions. Um, yeah. I think it's pretty clear at this point that the Pepe signing is just not going to work. You know, he's been there 18 months now and hasn't really looked like putting together a consistent run of form. And I think when you're down in the dumps a little bit, um, and I've seen it enough times from Solskjaer, you will sometimes get, you put your faith in players that haven't been played as much because they're more eager to come in. They've got something to prove. So the likes of Martinelli, who was out for a long time, an injury. Smith Rowe hasn't really had much of a look in. You know, uh, again, you know, younger lads like Sacco, supporters of the club. I think he's um, put his faith in more characters because we've been saying it for Arsenal for about mm. 10, 15 years. We don't really have any sort of characters or leaders in their team. Uh, you, know, you look at the likes of Rob Holding, perhaps not, you know, the greatest centre-back Arsenal will ever have, but at least he's vocal and tries to um, get things going. I think Tierney is another one. Um, you know, that will stand up and be counted. And I think a lot of it is a character 
issue with Arsenal. You know, if you look over the summer when they got rid of the likes of um, Granduzzi, yeah. um, you know, you, you, I think there's still a few bad eggs in that team. Mishaka, um, despite his goal, is still a disaster waiting to happen. You know, you've still got the Meza Urzel situation, which is lingering over them, and they realistically need to do something about it. Um, so I think maybe it's the start of a turnaround. Um, I think it'd be one of those things we're not going to know for another couple of weeks until, you know, and we'll see whether they can string some wins together. But it looked like he decided to go for sort of good characters and that probably helped the result, really. Craig, thoughts on that match as well? Um, I don't think Arsenal played particularly well, to be honest. I think Andy's right, Arteta was forced into some changes, um, started some younger players, and I think there was definitely a change in tempo and desire and effort there, which probably helped him get over the line. I thought Chelsea were unlucky in some uh, areas of, I think, the, the penalty. I don't think that was a penalty. I think it was it was borderline. Um, a wonder free kick and then a cross that ended up in the back of the net. So I think the three goals that Chelsea conceded, uh, on another day they may not have. Um, I don't think Arsenal will turn a corner, if I'm honest. I think they'll have another couple of wins and a loss, and I think they'll kind of muddle through and they'll eventually they will rise up the table. But I do not think that result on Saturday, uh, I think it's more about what Chelsea didn't do more than what Arsenal did do. Mm. I don't think that result's going to catapult anything anything significant, mate, if I'm honest. So just bring in another club that might be in that mix with Arsenal in terms of this relegation outsiders, um, Newcastle. I don't know if you guys saw the match against Man City. It wasn't particularly a pretty match, let's put it that way, because uh, Man City dominated the play, and pretty much took Newcastle to the sword. Um, but I think there is a bit of a concern for Newcastle staying up in the league. I mean, I'm not a great fan of Steve Bruce. I don't know if any of you guys are. Um, but it was it was painful to watch, and I I've got a few Newcastle friends at work. They've been saying for months how they hate Bruce, um, how they hate the play right now, and obviously there's been that kind of ah oh, the media don't know what they're talking about. They're his best friends, but actually when you see how Newcastle play, it is absolutely dreadful. Um, they currently sit in 13th place with 18 points, which sounds safe enough, but when you consider Burnley are 17th with 13 points, you know, it only takes a few games to bring them back into it. And I had a look at their fixture list in January. So after the FA Cup third round play against Arsenal, where they're away at the Emirates, they've got Sheffield United away in the league, then away at Arsenal, home at Leeds before at the end of January they've got to play Everton away. If they don't get a minimum of, say, seven points, I could see them easily being brought into it, especially as we're talking about West Brom, for example, picking up points. Fulham have started to pick up points as well. Um, I felt Burnley were unlucky the other day against Leeds. Um, it's all up for grabs, isn't it? Yeah, but I, I do feel that there are three worst teams in the league. Um, I did watch that game as well, and that was it was awful, Adam, you're right. I think it could have, if that game had finished 7 or 8 now, I don't think Newcastle could have had any complaints. It didn't really mm. offer anything up front and it was just wave after wave. And I can think of two really good chances off the top of my head that, that could have made it a bit more comfortable. They are, they are sat, um 14th at the moment. Um, they do have a game in hand against all the teams above them. And if they do win that game, um, they're sort of 11th or 10th, 11th in the league. So I don't think they're... 
they're going to get relegated. Like I said, I think West Brom, although they've got big Sam, I think that's his biggest and hardest job he's ever had in the Premier League. Um, I think Brighton and Burnley are probably more likely to get sucked into that than Newcastle, but you're absolutely right. Newcastle have been, have been dreadful. They don't really offer anything. And I think of all the clubs in the Premier League, maybe with the exception of Arsenal, they are probably the ones that are thanking themselves that the fans aren't in the stadium because the James's Park at the moment would be absolutely toxic if there was if there was forty five thousand people in there uh, watching that every week. Yeah, I think they're lucky um, if it wasn't for having an informed Callum Wilson because mm. they seem to be in that situation where they're only having one or two chances a game, but when they're falling to Callum Wilson, they seem to be falling going into the net. Um, and you know, if they were having to plod on a full season of Joe Linton up front. I think they'd be down, to be honest. Um, but I can understand how Newcastle fans feel because Mike Ashley ain't going to get rid of him because all he cares about is staying in the Premier League. Steve Bruce is not like Rafa Benitez. He's not going to make big demands. He's just glad to be in a Premier League job, let's be honest, because he knows that once he finishes a Newcastle job, whenever that might be, he ain't getting another one, that's for sure. Um, you, know, uh, you know, let's be real. Um, so I can understand why Newcastle fans were unhappy. I mean, they started earlier in the summer with um, talks of Rafa Benitez with a shit ton of um, money from um, Saudi Arabia, and they're stuck with Mike Ashley, who's bought from Steve Bruce. So, yeah, I do feel a little bit sorry for him. Right, let's bring in Rangers talk. So, Craig, you're going to be loving this, but you guys pulled off a 1-0 win against Hibs. It was quite a tight match by all accounts. I did kind of go between that and the Man United match, and uh, Hibs were playing some fairly decent stuff without kind of threatening enough, but that extends your lead at the top of the SPFL to 16 points. Obviously, Celtic kept the pressure a little bit by winning 3-0 against Hamilton. Um, but yeah, what, what did you make of the Rangers win against Hibs? Was it kind of a easy fodder, or was it kind of similar to the Motherwell game where you kind of struggled? It was it was quite painful to watch. Actually, it was quite a nervous uh, struggle to watch that. It was more similar to the Motherwell game than others. We scored um, thirty odd minutes, went in one 0 up at half time, and when Rangers don't get a second and seal a game off. We've got this sort of mental scar tissue of dropping points in the past. And speaking about Newcastle, I wouldn't have liked to have been a Rangers player at Ibrox on Saturday because I've been there before where that nervousness in the crowd transcends onto the park and players start misplaying um, passes and bad touches and it can just be a, a horrible atmosphere. But managed to grind it out. I'd imagine that if I watched it back now, knowing the result, I'd probably be a little bit less nervous because although... Hibs did have some pressure towards the end. It was more sort of lumping into the box yeah. rather than any clear-cut chances. But a good win, solid win. Hibs are no mugs. They're currently sat in fourth. Um, they'll be there or thereabouts for the European places at the end of the season. Jack Ross, as we've said, has them played reasonably well. Um, they're a decent team. So good to get the result over them. It was also nice to see Rangers win in a different way. So we spent a lot of this season, you know, it's been fantastic watching the steamroller teams, three, fours and fives. Um, but you, you learn a lot about your team when you have to hang on to a 1-0 win against a decent SBL team. Uh, and I was really pleased that we managed to come through that uh, on Saturday. Yep, 16 points clear. Uh, although Celtic do have three games in hand now, there's nothing to suggest that they'll win those games. Um, but if they do, it's still seven points clear. And if both teams win tomorrow, oh, Wednesday night, if both yeah. teams win on Wednesday night, we've got the old firm game on Saturday lunchtime. So uh, we have the potential 
to go 19 points clear on Saturday uh, with their three games in hand. If they win them all, that would leave it 10 points. Now, 10 points ahead in January any title race is a, is a good one. So, fingers crossed. We're, we're, we're doing well. We're playing well. No, no counting chickens yet. Um, and Rangers have a very, very difficult January. So, we have to go to Aberdeen, Motherwell, um, and Hibs in January. So, three really tough away games. I think we'll know an awful lot more about Rangers' title chances uh, after the, these three games end of January, if we can maintain some sort of form and some sort of results through that and maintain a lead over Celtic, I think the rest of this season um, should be relatively straightforward. But yeah, it's a very, very, very big four weeks coming up for Rangers. Is also January going to be key in terms of keeping the players that you've got right now that are kind of helping you out at the club? Because obviously there's going to be attention drawn to them, whether it's now or whether that's going to be in the summer. But certainly keeping hold of your key players. Um, I'm thinking likes of James Tavernier that we didn't even cover off last week. But I think, yeah, he's obviously going to set a few clubs' radars purely because of what I spoke on the previous pod around the Brexit rules as well. That may implicate for a lot of Premier League clubs. So, um, yeah, is January going to be also critical in terms of keeping players there? Yeah, you're absolutely right. We won't we won't be signing anyone in January. It's more around keeping our players. So both of our fullbacks, um, Borna Barisic and James Tavernier, are having phenomenal seasons. James Tavernier, our captain, um, 29-year-old Englishman, um, is having a particularly strong career um, year. Sorry, he scored 16 goals already from right back, um, which is a phenomenal return from from a defender. There's some strikers that won't get 16 goals this season. Uh, we've also had a lot of interest from Ryan Kent, uh, a young English player that we got from Liverpool's Youth Academy. He was linked with Leeds. I know that Marcello Bielsa is a big fan. Um, now, the Rangers board have come out categorically and said, we will not be selling any players in January now. You and I know that money talks in the mm-hmm. English Premier League, although uh, a much smaller team than Rangers can offer far, far more in terms of um, reward and contract-wise. So if a, a silly money bid comes in, of course, we'll be, we'll be looking for a looking to ship players on. But I think from the Rangers management team through to the behind-the-scenes staff up to the board, I think there's a real understanding of how important that season is. Um, and I think uh, they've told the Rangers fans that we believe them that there'll be no one moving in January. Now, the summer will be a very, very different scenario. Um, we've got several key players playing at the Euro Championships. And if they have decent Euro Championships, which they will, um, I can imagine we might lose two or three key players in the summer and then that'll be down to rebuild. But... I can't believe that we'll sell anyone in January. And if we don't and we keep this team together, I think we've got a very, very strong chance of winning our first title for a while. If bids came in for Morelis, would you take it, given the form that he's been in? Because I know in the summer, it was obviously rumoured to go to Lille. For, I think it was around 20 to 15 million, something like that. But on the form that he's been presenting right now, would you take it if a big like kind of mini uh, money bid came through? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think we spoke about it in the summer and Morelos should have really gone in the summer now. Morelos signed a new contract last year um, and part of that contract was that if a bid of a particular number came in, he would go. Now, he was linked with Lille and Wren in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, both had bids towards the end of the window and neither of those bids matched Rangers' evaluation of him. Uh, I think that valuation's probably decreased, if I'm honest. Morelos had... A good first half of last season was absolutely on fire. Got himself the new deal, um, and then post January last year, back in the last season, struggled for form. The goals dropped off. The same's happened this year. Um, he's not scoring a lot of goals now. Luckily, we have a Kamal Roof, a Cedric Itton, um, Kent and Hadji. These young guys who are contributing from midfield, and we don't really notice it as much. But I think if we get 
anything around 15 million uh, bid in January, Adam, then, then I think we would shake hands and, and say mm. thank you very much. Quite remind, we got them for a million pounds a few years ago um, from Finland. So an enormous profit on a, a talented player. He's always made it very, very clear that he wants to play in one of the big five leagues in Europe. Mm. Um, so he was going to use us as a stepping stone. We're under no illusions that that's the case. And I think now is probably the time um, that if we do get a bid, now will be the time to go, yeah. Let's stick with you, Craig, as well, because last week uh, you predicted that um, Thomas Tuchel would get sacked from PSG and it so seemingly has happened. So it looks like it's on the cards that Pochettino will be looking to uh, take the reins at PSG and it's undoubtedly the uh, rumours around Deli Alley going there is probably going to surface even more. Ironically, even Christian Eriksen was linked beforehand and is probably going to welcome this move. Um, but you're, from your point of view, do you think it's a positive move for Pochettino to go to PSG right now? Yeah, uh, as PSG are obviously a, an enormous European power um, and a chance for him to really attack the Champions League. I did predict Thomas Tuchel. I thought he would have actually got more time, mm. um, to be honest. I thought that this move would have potentially happened in four to six weeks' time if results hadn't turned around. But... They've obviously looked at the the short winter break in France as an opportunity to get a change in. Uh, it's looking like Pochettino's going in there now. Pochettino hasn't ever really managed big big personalities like Neymar and Mbappe, so I'll be, I'll be fascinated to see. Um, not as in good players, it's obviously he's had fantastic players at Spurs, but I'm talking about global global superstars with that presence. It'll be interesting to see how he copes with that. Um, great move for Poch. Thomas Tuchel is a, a good manager. Had some success with. PSG got them to the Champions League final last year. I, I think discussions off the park and um, arguments with Leonardo as director of football are contributed to this as well as um, results on the park. So they're currently sat in third, um, a point behind Leon, which for a, a team like PSG with their spend um, in league on is just unacceptable. Uh, that combined with constant arguments in the press, Leonardo and Tuchel are using the press to go to each other. Um, snide comments here and there, and it just looked really, really bad. And I think for all involved, it was quite a toxic environment um, and a good decision for both. I think Thomas Tuchel might be quite relieved that he's probably got out of there with, with his compensation package and that he can look on to bigger and better things. And George, from your point of view, uh, looking in uh, around what PSG stand for and what they've been doing this season, I don't know if you've seen the French title race, but it's about four clubs that are involved right now. Um, what do you make of the situation going on at PSG? Um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not a fan of PSG to be honest with you. I know that could be can, can sound quite hypocritical considering that a lot, people, <laughs> a lot of people will say that you know Chelsea are a very similar bracket in terms of how we approached you know signings and you know this whole culture of football and Abramovich coming in and just buying our title which is you know I, I don't you know fair comment to anyone who's who's not a Chelsea fan obviously I think differently but um, I think it's a great draw for, for PSG to get someone like Poch um, for sure because he's you know I think he's tactically um, you know at the top end of the managers available um, I think he's desperate to get back into work but I just think from his point of view I think it's a bit I think it's a bit of an easy one for him to go into I mean yes they've got problems but let's be honest they've got more money they've got more money than spent and I think you know anyone who doesn't win the league with with PSG in, in Liga is is always going to be in trouble um, or you know starts badly or has a poor run of results I think their their whole model is built on their success or failure of, of European football in, in mm. the Champions League and obviously they got 
their first final, which is is great for them. But they need that they need that consistency. I mean, from you know, apart from that, they had failed to qualify for the semi-finals. You know, beyond the quarterfinals for the last. Well, I think that was the first time ever they actually reached the semi-finals for a long yeah. time. So, um, with the amount of money they've spent, I think you know, I think the difference between Chelsea and PSG is probably you know the the competitiveness of the league. Um, and you know the success on European fronts, so I think it's just a bit of a it's it's a good one for Pochettino in the sense he can get that you know he can get that confidence back with himself. I think there's still a bit of a hole missing in his his heart with the whole Spurs thing and how the mm. Champions League final went, and having that that high of of beating Ajax in the last minute to then losing and you know not really being in the game at all against Liverpool in all fairness, but and you know coming close in a few title run um, title races before so. Um, I just think it's a bit of a an easy one for him to kind of get one on the. It's more for I think one for the CV to say I've ticked it. Look at my record at PSG. Um, but I don't know. I don't know about that club. I just there's always a question mark over. I think they need to make that step of being consistent. Certainly, I know it's difficult in Champions League football because it is a knockout competition. So not necessarily. I mean, we Chelsea are proof of that of not being the best team that year and winning the Champions League. It's very very possible, but. I think they need to, if that's their model, I think they need to approach it in a bit more of a sustainable way rather than just some of the signings. I mean, I don't, I don't see how Deli Ali suits PSG at all. I know he's not getting game time at Spurs, but I'd be sad to see him leave the English Premier League to go somewhere like PSG. I don't think it's great for him going forward. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, I could talk a lot more about PSG, but I won't. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Um, while we stick with Europe as well, Schalke, our favourite team on the pods, have appointed their third permanent manager. So they've brought in Christian Gross. Uh, thanks to that, Andy. That's their fourth manager of the season. Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of that one, but that's... Uh, Kind of a, the mid two thousands called or what their managers <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> certainly uh, Schalke are going to have an interesting second part of the season. Let's put it that way. So, um, right, let's bring you into the fodder, Andy. So we're going to talk about transfer rumours. Obviously, it's that time of year now, um, and we've got a whole host of different rumours, and it seems like certain ones. But um, just to put it out for the listener as well as my guest today, is we've got the likes of. Daniel Sturridge, Jack Wilshire, and Mario Mandzukic that also don't have a club right now. So potentially those kind of guys are going to make a move this January window. But Andy, what are the key kind of transfer stories that you've been getting? So the big ones, I think, which have legs, because, um, you know, I think, especially using Twitter, you see an awful, awful lot of transfer nonsense. <laughs> um, so it's difficult trying to filter out, which is legit ones and things like that. I think Fabrizio Romano is probably quite a good person to follow. Yeah. He um, seems to be quite on the money when it comes to that kind of stuff. So um, the big one at the moment is Lionel Messi, which is the case of where he ends up. So as if, you know, as a lot of people will know, he, uh, what, he made no uh, secret of his desire to leave Barcelona in the summer, um, you know, mainly due to um, his issues with the board. Um, you know, and obviously... With um, Laporte go, going, um, you know, he seems slightly more content. But it was interesting, he come out, this was published on the BBC as well, that he's going to wait to the end of the season to see what he wants to do. But he wants to play in the United States and experience life in the league there and then come back to Barcelona one day. Um, you know, and I think um, 
because of the way the MLS works, they all have like a designated player rule where they could play pay three players basically to be outside of their sort of their salary cap, which you have over there. Um and I think and MLS also with certain big names will foot foot up foot some of the bill because let's be honest he's not going to become you know cheap wages um but the league as a whole um will probably foot some of the bill i think in terms of where he'd end up um i think because you probably want to go somewhere with a big spanish-speaking community uh so you've got the two la teams lafc and la galaxy um you know and that that's been where some of the real great day stars have been in the past if you look at the likes of beckham slatter Bohemovic, um on a slightly lower level you've got carlos who's done very well at lafc you've got into miami uh, now they're the bunch that's um owned by david beckham and his consortium mm. uh, you know They've got Gonzalo Iguain, um, you know, obviously Argentine teammate, uh, was one of their sort of marquee signings. So it could potentially um, be um, some something that they would look at. I mean, in my personal opinion, I think you'll still end up staying signing a new contract and staying at Barcelona. To be honest, um, even though probably the right thing to do if you take the emotion out of it would be to let him go and free up his wages. Uh, the other ones that have popped up, so Manchester United in particular, this looks like a deal that could actually happen, is uh, Moises Caicedo. Um, now, I'll be completely honest, up until about a month ago, I hadn't heard of him. And I play a lot of football manager and I still haven't heard of him. Um, so it's kind of out of the blue. So I thought, right, okay, I'll have a look. Um, I had a look at YouTube. Now, don't get me wrong, YouTube is not exactly the be all and end all of a player. Um, you know, Bebe looked decent on YouTube clips a few years back. So, you know, but it does look like um, if you were to take the good parts, something that United lack, they lack, you know, a real mobile ball winner that could play the ball go forward he looks like he's got a hell of a shot on him uh would only cost about five million pounds according to Romano. for bits romano um you know they're in talks so it looks like there's a deal there to be done um and i think that's probably taking the approach that united have done in the last transfer window is they're looking at the younger players like palestri um, Adalio's coming in January. I think we're looking to get players to ease them into the under-23s and then into the first team, maybe to alleviate the pressure that typically tends to be on Manchester United signings. Um, other than that, I think David Alaba mm. is a big story at the moment. You know, I think it's pretty clear he's not renewing his contract to buy a Munich. Um, and I, I think he's got, given the sort of status of player that he is, he's probably got a pick of whatever club he wants, really. Um, I think Manchester United are loose links, but yeah. apparently the wage demands and the overall package it would cost to sign him, um, I think United have been put off by that. And I think if you look at the likes of what's happened with um, Alexis Sanchez, I can understand that. He's you know he's nearly thirty, probably. Um, I probably see he's more Real Madrid. Uh, the weirdest one I've seen is Christian Eriksen going back to Spurs. <laughs> now, I don't think that's a particularly realistic one because um, if you look at the All or Nothing documentary, he looked bored, bored as fuck when he was there. I couldn't wait to leave the building. Um, and fans, obviously, kind of knew his heart wasn't really in it uh, for a good while. Uh, some other random ones, I think Diego Costa, um, you know, he's not getting much game time. 
Um, Atletico Madrid, I think they've got two goals in nine appearances. You know, he might be looking for a move, whether that to be getting to the Spain squad next summer. Um, again, uh, some rumours were linked with Brazil and China, which would be a kind of, I think China would be a sort of Diego Costa kind of thing to do. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of the main ones with some sort of degree of um, solid might mm. higher probability to happen, I would say. Yeah, on that David Alaba, I did see um, obviously what you mentioned around Man United dropping the pursuit, but then I also read in The Athletic, it seems like the likes of City as well as Chelsea were also going to battle out for his services. So, George, do you reckon he's the kind of right fit for Chelsea right now? I would 100% take him. I mean, he's he's one of those that, you know, comes along once in a blue moon probably and I'm, you know, I think he's well, I'm surprised that he doesn't want to extend his contract, but sometimes, particularly at a club like Bayern Munich, where he's he's done it all and, and all the rest of it, he probably just wants a new challenge. And, um, you know, every club goes through transition and a change of, you know, guard. or And I feel like that maybe that, that, that cycle may be coming um, at some point. Um, but Bayern Munich looked very strong. So I'm surprised that he what he's he's out of sorts um, and wants out. I mean, yeah, and I don't think they'll, from a Chelsea's perspective, I don't think they'll be... I don't think there'll be many deals. I've heard whispers about um, Haaland maybe from the Bundesliga that is interested in playing for Frank Lampard at some point. Again, whether we have the resources to do that, it's I don't. I certainly don't think it'll be something that we do in January. Mm. Um, I can't. I think it'll be more outgoings for Chelsea in the next couple of windows than, than um, people coming in. Um, I'd like from a other clubs' point of view, I'd like to see what happens to Mesut Özil. Um, I don't know. If well, he certainly needs out of Arsenal, that's for sure. But whether yeah. whether we're going to capture some of the the brilliance that we saw in the Premier League from him at another club, it would be interesting to see who who are takers for him because he's obviously got great quality, but he's been out for so long. Um, yeah, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm not an expert in terms of you know I, I go on Twitter and everything else, but it's uh, difficult to cipher the the um, the nonsense from the main the main ones really. I mean, yeah, Messi was obviously the big one of the previous window, but. Um, I don't. I honestly don't know if next season whether it will be the same case where again he has a falling out and he's kind of the boss of that club, isn't he? I mean, what he says goes. Even you know he'll get owners and all the rest of sacked. Um, I heard talks about uh, Wijnaldum, Liverpool possibly mm. wants a way out. So. Other than that, no, I don't. I, I haven't heard, but Alaba's certainly one that I would love at Chelsea for sure. Yeah, Alaba's a weird one because it sounds like from Raphael Honigstein, he kind of referred to the fact that um, there seems to be disagreements on both parties. So it's not just Alaba, but also Bayern Munich kind of looking at a more dynamic kind of defensive line. They brought in the likes of Nicolas Zula already into that lineup. And another player that's affecting is Jerome Botang. He's currently going to have his contracts up shortly. And PSG were due to uh, sign him supposedly um, whether that be in January or the summer but with Pochettino now looking imminent it looks like obviously that might be reviewed um, with the O's one I've got here written down Juventus and Fenerbahce being offered his services but also I know previously MLS was being quoted to him as well um, and while we stick with Arsenal as well, obviously they're going to look for that attacking midfielder. Um, so obviously they don't deem Ozil good enough. Um, the likes of it's 
I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, but Ricky Puig from Barcelona. Apparently, he's being given the cold shoulder from Koeman. So he's only 21, also being interested by the likes of Leeds United. Um, another target that Craig will know is Christopher Nkunku from Leipzig. Um, supposedly, he's being kind of like offered to Arsenal as well. And um, as an alternative, you've got Emmy Bendir, who plays for Norwich right now. Um, supposedly, you know, the fact that he's someone that's adjusted to the game in the UK and he was apparently the fourth best overall creative player last season. So that might stand a chance for him. But yeah, um, on, on Kunku, um, Craig, what's your thoughts on him? Because he certainly turned up this season for Leipzig as well, hasn't he? Yeah, Christopher Nkunku is a fantastic young French player. Um, you know, lots and lots of caps for the under-16s all the way through to the under-23s. Um, very exciting attacking midfielder. Can play on either side and would definitely be an addition to Arsenal. Uh, I think he would slot into that first team, no problem at all. Um, Julian Nagelsmann, after Timo Werner left, was a big question mark of how could he... Um, deal with that change and how could he get the squad contribute more goals and Chris, Christopher Nkunku is certainly a player who's come come on through to sort of Nagel, Nagelsmann's tutelage um, for me you guys are rightly to right to highlight the big one which is David Alaba and you know George spoke about and earlier in the pod about how good centre-halves are an absolute premium in Europe and he has one of them I just googled him there he's only 28 and I just thought David Alaba was in his 30s because he's been around forever. But he's only 28. And if you can get him on a boss, and we're talking about uh, Thiago Silva as being the marshal of that defence. Now, if Thiago Silva has a year, 18 months left, David Alaba to come in there and shepherd a, a young centre-half would be ideal for me. And I think if he is available, and it looks like he will be on a Bosman next summer, then Chelsea should absolutely be putting him on top of the list because... You know, George again is right. The next part of that Chelsea team that needs addressing is the centre defence. Where Kurt Zuma is an okay, he's a serviceable centre half, but Thiago Silva is making him look a lot better than I think he actually is. Um, and I think probably both need replaced in the next eighteen to twenty-four months. And a very, very good start to that rebuilding process would be if you could get David Alaba in on a free. So. Very, very interesting. Um, but I think both of those players could do a real turn in the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think. For the top end Premier League clubs, I think it'd be di- it's difficult to get deals done mm-hmm. in January because you know if you look at you know I think uh, if you look at say Chelsea and United, both both teams really need a top top class at the back uh, to go into that starting lineup, but that requires one a, a centre back of that quality to be available and at a reasonable price in January, and typically that does not happen. Um, you know, maybe the Alaba one is the only one that could possibly happen in January, but I don't see Bayern Munich getting uh, getting rid of a player that they need um, in in January in the middle of the season, especially the amount of fixtures they've got. So I think most of the business, in my opinion, will be the clubs you know looking to get an edge on the relegation battle. Um, but I don't think there'll be any real big business from sort of top six clubs. Um, in my opinion mm, definitely right let's move into part two so Craig fill us in with the fixtures that are going to happen over the next few days going into the weekend as well 
So as you would imagine, it's coming sort of thick and fast. So what I've done is I've just listed down some of the better games from now until Sunday. Um, otherwise, I'll be here all night listing off next week's games as well. So tomorrow night, which is, for listeners, this is Tuesday evening. You've got Sevilla versus Villarreal, 4 o'clock. Brighton Arsenal at 6. Burnley play Sheffield United at 6. Southampton versus West Ham and West Brom host Leeds all at 6 o'clock. Uh, Barcelona, we've spoken about tonight, they host Ibar at quarter past six. And then Manchester United versus Wolves, which is a, a good game. Now, if Manchester United win that game, they go two points behind Liverpool. So a huge incentive. And it says a lot about this league where, you know, the narrative has been about how inconsistent Man United have been, but they could be at the new year, Mark, two points behind Liverpool at the top, which is which would be great for them. Wednesday afternoon, Rangers host St Murren and Celtic play against Dundee United, both at three o'clock. You've got Spurs host Fulham at six. Atletico play Hitafe at quarter past six. And then the two evening games that are picked out, Newcastle host Liverpool at eight o'clock and Elche host Real Madrid at half past eight. On to Friday, Everton host West Ham at half past five. Man United play Villa at eight o'clock. And then on Saturday, we've got the Old Firm game at half past 12, Rangers hopefully with the opportunity to go 19 clear. Spurs play Leeds at, in London at half past 12. Our adopted team on the podcast, Schalke, they're away to Hertha Berlin at half past five. Now, if they do not win that game, that will be 30 um, in a row. Bundesliga games without a win, and that will be one off of the record sent by Tasmania Berlin in the 60s. Uh, and the round off Saturday night, Stuttgart host Leipzig. Now, Stuttgart were the team that thumped Dortmund last time out and got um, five of the sack, so they host Leipzig on Saturday, that'll be a good game and then rounding off the weekend on Sunday some of the key games, Atlanta hosts a Swallow at 2 o'clock, Newcastle Leicester quarter past 2 Chelsea versus Man City, huge game mm. for Frank Lampard, half past 4 uh, and then Juventus versus Torino at quarter to 8 so that's us up until Sunday of course, through the next sort of week after that there's, there's games almost every day but that's what the sort of interesting fixtures up until the weekend so, Andy, your thoughts? I mean, obviously, big incentive for you guys. Um, do you think, you know, you've, you're starting to turn that corner now and get these games to win now? Yeah, I think there seems to be a bit more consistency um, in the league results at the moment. Um, you know, even taking into account the draw at Leicester, I think most teams would be happy with a point away at the King Power, mm. especially considering... The team that Leicester are these days. Um, I think you know the games. As I said on the pods on the last pod, the games against um, you know obviously Leicester that we've had, and uh, Wolves and Aston Villa that tell us a lot. I think if United get two wins out of um, those next two games, I think maybe we do have to sort of look and go. Actually, we probably are in that sort of title mix. I think ultimately, as much as I really hate. I really hate to say it. I think Liverpool will pull away and then win the league, but at least they can hopefully United can make it interesting. Um, so yeah, I think if they start Cavani, um, try and sort out some of the defensive issues um, and be a bit more clinical, then I don't see why we can't win those two games. Mm. And Craig, for you guys, obviously, I think Wednesday is going to set the tone, isn't it, in terms of how important it is for the likes of either Celtic to put the pressure on you guys or, you know, Rangers for you to just run off with it. So, 
Um, do you think Dundee United are going to cause enough of an issue for the Celtic or do you think it's just going to be another game potentially where they get pummeled and it'll just lead into Saturday's game? I think Celtic will run through Dundee United um, at Parkhead on Wednesday, to be honest. I think you know, we went up to Dundee and beat them comfortably a few weeks ago and I think Celtic will do the same on Wednesday. We go to Paisley to play St Murn now. You might remember that St Murn were the team that knocked us out the League Cup quarter-final a few weeks ago. So we've got um, we've got to come over, overcome that. We've got to beat them. Providing both teams win, that old firm game on Saturday is the biggest one in potentially eight years, really. If Celtic have any chance of really clawing this back, they have to beat Rangers and send a message on Sunday. Even a draw for them, I think, would be so demoralising because they'll be so far behind. So... Um, a very, very important week for Rangers and through January again, but I'm quietly confident. It's, it's hard to get confident uh, for all from games over the last few years, but uh, we put in a great show in October. We went to Parkhead and beat them comfortably 2-0, uh, and I'm hoping for more of the same this week. And George, from your point of view, obviously Chelsea have a massive game against Man City on Sunday. Um, what's your thoughts on the, the City team, but also in particular, how do you think Lampard's going to approach this game? Like you've alluded to already, it's a it's a massive game for us and for Frank now. Um, I was speaking to a few friends before tonight, actually, and I, we were kind of saying a minimum of four points for the two games really is is quite critical for us to mm. you know. I think our ambition is to certainly close the gap at the top. I think we're probably closing it because the rest of the teams around us are, are actually not performing to their levels rather than us playing well. Um, I, I agree um, with what's been said before about Liverpool probably pulling away and winning the league. City's going to be a tough one because they've got they've got so much strength and depth. But again, I think the, the one thing that we can probably hang on to is the fact that no one's really out and out performed to a consistent basis so far this season. So I think every game's winnable and every game um, can be lost as well. So um, my, my predictions going into it probably are quite bleak. I think we're probably starting a beginning of a rut at the moment where I think Frank's desperate for a win but if we were to win the match for some reason I think it'd be a huge huge three points not just in terms of the table but mm. for, for Frank's confidence in, in his ability of what he's doing at Stamford Bridge at the moment. Just out of randomness I've kind of had this thought come into my head do you think Lampard's got it within him to kind of do a Mourinho and park the bus because certainly when you saw Spurs take on Man City a few weeks ago when they played him and won quite emphatically um, Man City seemed to struggle with that um, and they lacked that kind of ideas around how they could attack that and certainly obviously Spurs came away with a victory I, I can't recall ever kind of seeing a Lampard team kind of parking the bus necessarily so I think it's going to be more expansive from the Chelsea team but yeah could you see Lampard kind of changing it for this game? It's a strange one because in the bigger games, he has tended to try and go with that approach. Um, I remember the game quite early on in the season at home to Liverpool where he played a kind of five at the back and we were actually coping quite well um, until I think we got a red card um, and we made a mistake and they, they got the goal and then from then on it was very difficult. Similar to the game at Old Trafford as well where we got the nil-nil um, where the game was kind of there for the taking but I think the, the players and the setup were we're almost told, you know, it's more important to get the clean sheet. And I think that was at the time where Mendy had just come in as well. So the simple answer to that is probably no. I can't, I don't think we actually have the quality of players to be able to go against Manchester City and say, you know, we, we've got the ability to keep them shut. 
and to, to park the bus. I think it would be a very naive tactic from our point of view. Mm. Um, yeah, I think at the moment, Chelsea seem to go through, don't really know how to go through ta- transitions of games and how to approach certain sections of the game. So I don't know what to expect, to be honest with you, but I can't. I think if we were to go and park the bus, I think it's a very naive tactic against a side that are always going to create chances with the quality that they have. Mm. Well, it's all up for grabs. So let me just quickly do some housekeeping. So um, just want to remind the listener that it's your last week um, before we pick a winner in terms of our incentive, which is our giveaway. We've got Ryan Hubbard's book, uh, Partition to Solidarity, as a giveaway. So all you have to do is promote our pod. Obviously, I'll put some tweets as well as our Instagram account to just explain what you have to do to stand a chance of winning that. Um, Also, we'd just like to thank guests that I've had this year because we are coming to the end of 2020. For some people, that's actually a blessing given how shit this year has been. Um, But just to say thank you to the likes of David Shams, James Graham, as well as Andy, Craig, Ryan Hubbard, and also George uh, for your contributions this year. Um, obviously we'll be still going in 2021 so hopefully you guys really enjoy the pod and just encourage you to subscribe and like us where you can so um, just a massive thank you to George for joining us hopefully you enjoy that George and uh, look forward to hopefully inviting you for future pods so thank you for joining us and just for myself thank you for listening in and for now thank you and goodbye (laughs) 